from Peacedale Congregational Church in the Ocean State, recording here in the upper room. Once again, it's time to share more joy. Today will be part two of a two-part series. In the first part, we heard the harrowing story of how Jet, a five-year-old orphan in war-torn South Korea, eventually made his way to America and ascended the ranks to become a vice president of the aerospace company Pratt & Whitney. In today's sequel, we will talk to Jet Verts and ask him how in the world he was able to achieve this remarkable feat. We'll also ask what brings him joy and how is he sharing his joy with others. I'm Senior Minister Fred Evenson, and I just want to welcome you to our joyful podcast where we celebrate joy in its various forms and ultimately we ask the question, how are we sharing it? And as I've said, for me, Christianity is a joyful path. Experiencing God's joy is a big part of following Christ. And speaking of following Christ, here with us now is the courageous fellow from our last podcast, Brother Jet Burtz. It's my joy to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Brother Jet. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Brother Jet, you are, you have to be, one of the smiliest people around. You carry this joy with you that is just, you can't miss it. And so let's just begin with the question. What is your joy that you would like to share with us today? All right. I am very blessed and thankful that I am living a very comfortable retirement life here in the Wakefield, Rhode Island, the Ocean State, doing what I really enjoy doing, that is volunteering at the Habitat for Humanity and volunteering to teach at the University of Rhode Island's Ocean Lifelong Learning Institute. My joy is my ability to give back to the community and to the world without having to ever worry about earning money to make a living. I can do this because I've realized and achieved the so-called American dream in that I have had outstanding education by obtaining an aerospace engineering degree, serving in the U.S. Navy as an officer, and after serving the country, I went to work for aviation business and retired as a vice president from Pratt & Whitney Aircraft with a comfortable pension and a seven-figure retirement nest egg savings, wow. such that I don't ever have to work for money again. I can live out the remainder of my life, next 20 years or so, hopefully maybe more, <laughs> doing what I really enjoy, that is, giving back by volunteering and teaching. However, this joy of realizing the so-called American dream really all started about 66 years ago when I was an orphan boy living in an orphanage in Korea. 66 years ago when you were in an orphanage. Can you pinpoint a time when that, that joy happened? I consider my current state of joy leads all the way back to my prayer that I made when I was about 13 years old or 10 years of age in American age. That was answered by God. And while you were in that orphanage, in your book, you talk about a certain prayer. 
that I would like you to read for us now, if you don't mind, because I think it helps illumine the situation. Do you mind reading? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. It's on my book, uh, Memoir, which I wrote. It's called American Dream. And there's one section which I go into how I dream about going to America. And I realized that my dream may be overshadowed by getting too old. And I noticed that most kids being adopted from the orphanage I was living in were two, three, four years old. If you passed six, you're sort of done. And here I was, I've been hoping to be adopted by American GI and go to America. And here I was, 13 years old. And I realized, wait a minute. You were afraid that it was getting too late. Yes, I realized that, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out my time may have a past. Yeah. But then the orphanage that I was living in was a Christian orphanage. And the orphanage said, Christian Christianity teaches that if you really want something, you pray. If you pray something, then it could come true. Mm-hmm. It's important to talk to God. Yes. So I realized that for me to be adopted and go to America, I needed some kind of miracle. Mm-hmm. And what more better miracle it could be if I prayed to God and yeah. God would answer my prayer. Yeah. And just to set the context, uh, before I w- went into this uh, Christian orphanage, I lived in another orphanage, which was run by Buddhists. It was a Buddhist orphanage. And in Buddhist orphanage, they taught us everything about Buddhism. And that is, you have to do good if you want to go to nirvana. And, and whatever you do something wrong, it's forever that you have to undo that. Whereas a Christian orphanage, it says, if you do something wrong, we're human. All you have to do, ask for forgiveness sincerely, and you'll be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And also, no matter what condition you are, if you pray for something, the miracle could happen. And I was pondering between the Buddhist religion and Christian religion, and I said to myself, you know, time has come for me to do miracle-seeking prayer. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, you know, this orphanage been kept asking me to commit myself to Christianity. But I was first taught a Buddhist religion. So I decided, I'm going to make this prayer, miracle-seeking prayer. And if that my miracle-seeking prayer comes true, I will convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So here's what I did. <laughs> I was 13 years old, knowing that my time has passed. I made this prayer. It's in my book. I said, Dear God, I know that I am getting old, and there is less chance that I can be adopted by an American family. However, I know that you can perform miracles. Therefore, I am praying for this miracle-seeking prayer. I sincerely pray that I be adopted by an American GI and be brought to the USA. I have been evaluating between Buddhism and Christianity, and I'm somewhat leaning toward Christianity, but have not made an affirmative commitment. If you can answer my prayer and bring about this miracle that I can be adopted by an American GI and be taken to USA, I will affirmatively commit myself to Jesus Christ 
and commit myself to be a devout Christian. I sincerely pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And whether you believe it or not, I made that prayer that Sunday morning and Sunday evening. The director of orphanage assembled all boys and said, I have an announcement to make. We have an American GI who's been coming to this orphanage for some time, decided that he wanted to adopt a boy. He was a single man. Because he's single, he wanted to adopt a boy who's 10 years old. So all 10 years old boy, please raise your hand. And guess what? My hand went right up. Even though I was going by 13 years old, didn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, my prayer was answered. And that's how it all began. And here I am today. He adopted me and I came to America and I realized the American dream. Wow. Thank you for reading that. So, Jet, can you talk a little more about that experience in Korea? What was it like being so young, even five years old, losing your family, living by yourself on the streets? I mean, how, how did you do that? That's a good question. To be honest with you, I don't know how I did it. But <laughs> I did it. It's, I look back and think about those days, I think of it as a, that's a human survival instinct. Because when my kids were growing up and they were five years old, I kept looking at them to see how could they do this? And I came to realization, wow, that's incredible. How I did when I was five years old, only thing I could think of it was that I must have been very resilient uh, and had a very good survival instinct. That's the only thing I could think of. And I have to wonder if the hand of God was with you through that, that helped oh, you survive. absolutely, e absolutely. Because that's just, it's amazing to me. Here you are, five years old, and you've been dropped off the top of a train, and you wait there, and your family doesn't come. I just think that would be heartbreaking. And I have to wonder, I know you were in an orphanage for years you first went to the Buddhist and then the Christian. and I wonder, did you still have a hope during that time that your family would come for you? Or were you pretty much resigned to the fact that I'm here on my own and I got to figure this out? That's a very good question. When I was first sent to Buddhist orphanage, I lived there until the weather got warm and I left there on my own, mm -hmm. hoping that I would find my family back to the train station. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't find my family. So that's what you were hoping when yes. you left the Buddhist then, orphanage. And I didn't also like Buddhist orphanage because they had too much rules and regulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when the winter time came, I had to go back. So I went to police station and policemen took me to another orphanage. But it turns out the second orphanage I went to, it was a Christian orphanage. It was run by American care package that was delivered by American missions. Mm -hmm. My plan was to stay in that orphanage for another six months. And when the winter is over, I can go back, and back to the train station, look for my parents. But as it turns out, the one thing I learned in that orphanage was that 
kids were getting adopted by Americans who come to visit there. And I came to realization, wait a minute, maybe if I go back to train station to look for my parents, they may not be there. Maybe I should stay here and maybe I can be adopted and go to America. So I decided to stay. Only problem is I got to be 13 years old and realized that, guess what? My time is over. That's when I decided that I need to have a miracle-seeking prayer. That's what I did. That was answered in in an amazing way. And you were able to win over Fred Wirtz's heart. Yes. And, And the rest is history, I guess, as they say. So when you were an orphan... In, uh, and you were spending your time in your orphanages there. Uh, how did you survive that? What was the, if you could pinpoint it on a thing, was there something that saved you, that you leaned on, that helped you survive that? Well, this uh, Christian orphanage, which was different than Buddhist orphanage, was in Buddhist orphanage, we had to go out to the neighborhood and beg foods and bring foods back uh-huh. to share with everybody. Whereas this Christian orphanage, they didn't do that. Instead, they had their own farm. Mm-hmm. They all had their own rice paddies. They grew rice. They had beans. They grew beans and whatnot. And we were all kept busy working as a little, even though I may have been five, six, seven years old, we had our chore. One of my chores was to actually go and weed the garden, weed the cornfield, weed the rice paddies. And so we were kept busy, so we didn't really think about surviving uh, because, you know, we grew our own food. Mm-hmm. So. And do you remember, did you have a feeling at that point that you were pretty much resigned that you were going to have to find a way to America that for whatever reason your parents weren't going to be able to, to get to you? Yes, I came to the conclusion that I'm not going to be able to find my parents. So my dream was to be adopted and have an adopted family that I can come to America. And it happened. Yes, it did. (laughs) We should probably talk about the fact that you have tried to find your biological parents eventually. Yes, I actually went back to Korea, I would say at least a dozen times to look for my biological parents parents, my mm-hmm. biological family, but I was unsuccessful. The very first, first time I went back was uh, 1972 um, when I was uh, serving in U.S. Navy in Subic Bay. Uh, because we served during the Vietnam War, we all had what we call R&R, um, and most people in R&R, uh, they go to Hawaii or they go back to home states. I took my R&R in Korea. You get to have two weeks or pay to have an R&R. So uh-huh. I went back to Korea in 1972, looked for my biological family, biological parents. And the first thing I did, I went over there, I went to their newspaper office, their TV station, and I explained my story and see if I can find my parents. Unfortunately, I was not unable to do that. What I found was all uh, friends that I had, I lived in orphanage, but that, that was all I had. After that, I went back to Korea uh, at least another 10, 11 more times, but 
never succeeded. Well, I have to think if your parents knew all that you had achieved, that they would be proud of you. I'm sure they're proud of you. <laughs> and I'm so glad, Jet, that you did make it to America. You talk in your book about race and racism. And I'm just wondering, how would you describe your cultural identity? I sort of consider my cultural uh, background to be based on Judeo-Christian principle and Confucius principle. Um, Could you say a little more about that? Yeah, yeah, because uh, while I was living in first orphanage, which was run by Buddhist monks, uh-huh. obviously they taught us Buddhism, but associated with Buddhism, they had a lot of Confucius teachings. Uh-huh. Um, that is to work hard, persevere, respect for elders, respect for authority. Uh, that's sort of, when I go back and looking at what they taught me, and when I look back, what principles they are, they are really a Buddhist principle. Uh-huh. But then when I came into Christian orphanage and growing up in America, obviously I was taught a lot of Judeo-Christian principle. So I, I sort of feel that I have a combination of both. And I consider that's a good thing. I see uh, two good principles that I, that's my, my culture background, I feel. Oh, thank you for that. I am wondering, when you think about, you know, growing, being born in South Korea, do you think of yourself as a Korean-American? Or do you think of yourself as American? Or in, in those kinds of terms, how do you think of yourself? I think of myself as Korean-American with the mixture that American is there. Because I, when I went back to Korea, as I indicated to you several times I went back, um, I realized that I am not totally uh, Korean anymore. My, my habits, my culture, my thinking, what I do, has a lot of uh, Judeo-Christian American principle. Uh-huh. So. Kind of a combination there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, if somebody asks me, I, I always say I'm a Korean-American. I don't drop American. I don't just say I'm Korean. I'm a Korean-American. And so I wonder, you, you do mention, you know, some experiences you've had around race. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, has that created challenges for you in your life? I would say no. If anything... I think of race, you can use race as a victimized method or be a incentivizing method. Mm-hmm. I think of my race being who I am, it incentivized me to work harder. Because when I was first adopted and living in Wisconsin, I was only minority, I was only Korean, not even blacks, not even any uh, Asians, I was only Mm-hmm. Uh, Asian. So I stood out like sore thumb. When uh-huh. I was living in Mississippi, I went to a high school in Mississippi. Um, again, I was only non-white person. In fact, in those days, in 1964, uh, Jim Crow law was still there and no blacks were in the high school that I was in. Uh-huh. So I recognize that, yeah, I am not like others, but it made me work harder because I wanted to make sure I fit in. I wanted to make sure 
that I am equal to or better than they are. So therefore, I work harder. So my race, if anything, incentivized me to work harder and do better. I'll be darned. Used it as a motivating. It's a definitely is a motivating factor, factor for me. That's good to know. Do you have any advice for people considering the possibility of being a foster parent or an adoptive parent? What would you say to somebody who's who's considering that? Oh, I would. I'm a very strong advocate for adoption and foster care mm -hmm. because I look at myself. Um, I feel like I succeeded in American Dream because I was adopted, because I was given that opportunity. I know that I could not have done it by myself. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's thinking of considering, thinking about fostering and adoption, I would say absolutely. You could raise somebody just like me. <laughs> so there you are. You know, yeah. You should definitely do that. I know it's an important thing for you, and I, I just, I'm, I'm so glad that you had the opportunities you did. Do you think, Judd, is it an overstatement for me to say that it was a life-saving situation that you're, that you were adopted? Is that an overstatement? Oh, I would say yes. It was a, a life-saving because uh, the life I have right now and the kind of retirement I have. It all started from the day when I recited that prayer and that I was adopted. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. I just want to thank you, Jet, for sharing your joy with us. You have such a remarkable story, such an inspiring story. And I just I'm so grateful that you are a member of our congregation and, and being a guest on our podcast and the way you've described your your joy. Thank you for sharing your joy in your book. Your book that is, again, it's entitled American Dream, a memoir about a Korean orphan boy who dreams about the American dream and achieves it. So it has been my joy to talk with you, Brother Jet. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And to the listeners, as you continue to seek to fill your joy bucket, Consider worshiping with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We usually begin worship with a question, and so we end the podcast with a question. How are you sharing your joy? Something to ponder. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you know when a new one is being born. And visit us on our website at peacedalechurch.org or on Facebook at Peacedale Congregational Church. I'm Fred Evenson, and I'll be back next time with more interviews and more joy. Joy to the fishes, my friends. And all God's children say, Amen. Sharing More Joy is a production of Peacedale Congregational Church, hosted by me, Fred Evenson, Senior Minister, and produced by Joanne and Bob Haynes. The music is Friends for Life by Avocado Junkie, acquired from soundstripe.org. Visit us again to hear our next Sharing More Joy podcast.